Welcome to Business Talk Sister Crack. I'm Becca. And I'm Ruthie. And today's episode title is Why Data Privacy Matters. And with us today, we have Carter Wetzel, who is uh, one of the founders of Secure Network. And he also wrote a book, and Ruthie's going to tell us a little bit about it. It's called Building Confidence in Blockchain. He wrote it over the course of three years. He has his own podcast, um, which is very interesting and has a lot of information about blockchain. He interviews a lot of um, other people who are really invested in blockchain and have um, just kind of pioneered a lot of that, which has been really cool to uh, learn from. And if you're wondering more about that, you can go listen to our other episode on what is blockchain, where we talked to him about that. And we had such a great time that we wanted to have him back. (laughs) So thanks so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun to talk data privacy. It's a topic near and dear to my heart. Just uh, working with some amazing people that are really trying to make the internet a better place trying to kind of redefine like web 3.0 as we know it and data privacy is at the center of that discussion so yeah happy to chat about it yeah so we'll kick it off with the first question here which is why is data privacy important to you yeah so i would first want to start with like data privacy and the way we define it just for people listening in um data privacy is a set of rights a user a person has about um, how, how is their data governed? How is it collected? How is it shared? How is it used? Um, every person has information that's unique to them. And I think the instant we stop fighting for the right to have sovereign control over how the information that describes us and makes us human is collected, shared, and used is the instant we kind of relinquish our uniqueness, our humanity, our liberty, um, honestly, in the face of blatant manipulation via mass data harvesting. Like, I always like to ask people, like, have you ever sang in the shower? Have you ever danced in front of a mirror alone? Um, I think privacy is intimately tied to creativity. Uh, a human being that's watched, ultimately, um, you, like, have that fight or flight sense subtly activated. So, yeah, it's... Privacy and creativity can't really be separated in my in my mind in some ways. Yeah, one of my mentors actually, he I recently sent this to Ruthie as a quote. I was like, mm, this is a good one. Um, is that he says if you get if you take people away from art, and there will not be innovation. Hmm. And if you take people away from innovation, um, that's taking away our freedom. Hmm. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting because art truly does help people create new things and and it feels like you can't do that if you can't express yourself because somebody might be judging you or something with that so so can we back up to what would you um describe or define data privacy as yeah i would specifically say data privacy is this massive concept of what does it what level of control do you get over how your data is collected shared and used. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, hand in the mouth. Tapping on the table. <laughs> oh, man. Are we still rolling? Yeah, you go ahead. Um, and so that's where I start with it is it's really about kind of sovereignty of your own data. And to be honest, we don't have much sovereignty over that data. Um, we have a lot of powerful entities out there that claim that data collection is out there, it's to protect you. Um, But I find that the scope of the argument is like super alarming. Mm -hmm. 
as if like they can't already filter through and target high-risk high portions of the web. Um, like, why don't we just put a webcam in every room, right, to make everyone safer? Like, mm -hmm. clearly there's a line in there somewhere, and I think for whatever reason we've, as a society, have not been very informed or alarmed about kind of data privacy as a set of rights. Okay. Um, so let's talk about what people can do mm -hmm. with your data. So I know Becca and I have kind of looked into this a lot, and uh, like we were talking about Target and how in 2012 there was this <laughs> dad that came forward and was furious that his daughter had received a bunch of ads mm -hmm. for like babies and stuff like that and like a bunch of like it was like addressed to her specifically yeah at their wow. house and he came in and was like chewing out the managers like why did my daughter get sent this and then they called the manager called back a couple of weeks later and said like we're so sorry and he was like actually she's pregnant i just found out that there were things happening in my house that i didn't know about mm -hmm. and so then like people started looking into it more and found that target had been tracking like when women were in like their first like second and third trimesters and well, like what they would on be a buying. probability it yeah. was like 86 percent probability if you bought cotton balls and copious amounts of unscented lotion yeah. then we're going to start sending you these ads because the likeliness of you being pregnant is very high yeah right. so yeah. Basically, they were tracking your um, purchasing patterns to be able to send you more customized mailers. And then after people started figuring that out, then they would like sprinkle in other things like they'd throw a grill next to Pampers and things like that. So that it wasn't as obvious yeah. or creepy. <laughs> wow. 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 Yeah. Anyways, but so, okay, what can people do with your data? And that's that's one of them. It's yeah. purchasing patterns. I feel like I feel like as a starting point like of the question like what can people do with your data it's essentially the more data people collect on you the more likely and the, the better they'll be able to essentially manipulate you for some entire like for some desired outcome like examples of this as we're seeing like in financial services they're collecting and exploiting massive amounts of data to make financial judgments about us our creditworthiness. What if the websites you visit, the places you go, somehow make you a more risk-averse person or a less risk-averse person? Do you want every single component of you to be out there such that they can exactly profile you into a certain level of risk so that they can charge you a certain amount? Like That, to me, is just crazy that they can do that so it's like if you keep looking at motorcycles on craigslist they're like yeah we're gonna charge you more for insurance right. just in general and it's and it's totally automated it's totally ai just parsing through like an insane amount of data and they're doing that on like a mass scale and and one really interesting thing is too is that more often than not exploitation of data facilitates and exacerbates already existing inequalities in society without us knowing that it occurs as in like Data, ex data exploitation disproportionately affects the poorest people of society, okay. believe it or not. Dig into that more because that's really interesting. How does that happen? Yeah. So just think about people have habits, um, financial habits, purchasing habits, search habits that are harder to escape. Like people tend to like the most vulnerable people in society are more likely to fall into addictive behavior patterns. And so people 
there are people out there that know that and the more data they can collect, the more they can dictate those people's behavior and get them trapped into micro purchasing services, um, any sort of like product purchasing, same with like the credit related thing. There's just, there's like a million different small things out there that are preying on people that don't have a lot of financial wisdom and are, don't necessarily know what they're up against. Like people don't realize every time you, you open up Google, you're up against like an insane amount of computational power that's trying to make you click certain things by certain things. And yeah, that's, that's kind of how I would describe it. And that impoverished individuals are more prone to that manipulation from what I've learned about and read about. I'd have to do a little bit more research to be yeah, honest. Well, but. and I think, so one example of this would be like those, um, fast cash right. payment services where mm-hmm. it's like, you can cash your paycheck here early we'll give you an advancement on your on your paycheck Mm -hmm. before you even get it and then but when you get your paycheck we get that paycheck plus interest Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. because that's for some people who've grown up that way immediate gratification is all they've ever known right or honestly like if you have a cognitive issue with your frontal cortex Mm -hmm. or if you're older like if you're a young person that hasn't fully developed that can totally the logic behind that is like well why would i not want my money now but they don't realize the ramifications of what that means in terms of the long-term payback of how much money they're actually spending to get that two weeks earlier exactly yeah and that that was something that facebook had i know that there was a big deal with them where they had to shut down a lot of targeted specific ads for those things to people because they're like oh these are going to be more likely people to take this product Mm -hmm. which totally is i think just unfortunate because you're just taking advantage of people at right. that point right and then, and that's like an excellent example and i think there's lots of examples like that that we just don't know about you know mm-hmm. and they're out there and that's the that's the scary part um, yeah so yeah that's that's just one example that's financial services i mean another great example obviously is political campaigns have turned into these very sophisticated data operations and for those of you who've seen the social dilemma it's like um, we're entering into an era where there's so much control over people's behavior, even though people don't like that idea. Like everyone believes that they're kind of in control of themselves and their habits. I think there is some pride wrapped up into that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, political campaigns are having ads and putting out content that will attempt to polarize and get people to vote a certain way. It's not necessarily about having like an informed and balanced view anymore. It's about Mm -hmm. polarizing people, creating emotional responses, and they know exactly how to do that because they have all your data Mm -hmm. and they know what you react to. They've seen you react to it. It's A-B testing Mm -hmm. on a massive scale. That's scary. Well, Um, and yeah, like even on a, even on like a regular level of like, you know what, I don't like, there's certain people within my Facebook that I'm like, mm -hmm ignorance is bliss for me Mm -hmm. like if somebody's like oh this is what i'm like doing with my life or whatever i'm like oh i didn't know that and i can genuinely have a conversation with Mm -hmm. them where like i don't want to find out about that from them on facebook right so like i specifically have put like settings for certain people just saying i don't want to see stuff from them right but then when something significant happens that facebook wants me to either get back into creeping on them or saying hey this is like a something that we're pushing you to be more like more like this person that will show in my feed even though i've specifically asked them not Not to show posts from that person Mm -hmm. and i'm like 
that is totally inappropriate right. to me i i feel because i notice it on like a, a a slower level like oh this and it's really not that big of a deal but like if i was somebody who had like a major fight with somebody else or whatever like it's almost like facebook is fueling drama purposefully because yep. mm-hmm. you're more likely to use the app you're more likely to give them attention yeah mm-hmm. and and you kind of mentioned the social dilemma and and we did not cover that enough. So if you guys have not watched that movie, you need to go and watch it. Because I feel like it is the best representation of what algorithms do to a person who knows nothing about technology. And just take it with a grain of salt because they do try to like personify what Facebook and other algorithms do. And it's not necessarily actually what's happening. It's just like a personification of what's happening, but it is happening. And yeah, so that's just something to keep in mind. But it also planned to do something fun after you watch it because you can get really (laughs) sad (laughs) and freaked out. No, I watched it right before the last election and I was like, whoa, this explains (laughs) so much about what's happening right Mm -hmm. now. But it helped me like, it helped me realize, you know what, people are actually like wanting to do the right thing. It's just Mm -hmm. that they're getting fed stuff that maybe they're more apt to react to. And that's why they're looking at other people like, I can't believe you would you would respond this way after reading the same information. But the reality is they're not reading the same information. And that's the issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking about with with the polarization, they talked about in the social dilemma of how um, it knows what you want to see. So it'll feed you things that are in line with what you already believe. And then so you start kind of creating this mentality of like everybody thinks like me. And then when you meet someone who doesn't, it's almost like, like you just have this shocking moment of like oh my word there are people out there who think like this and like i don't know that's just it's weird how they've used your data to feed you a specific narrative um yeah okay so next question (laughs) i would i would just speak to give a really quick example because people always are like all these algorithms like how do they work i'll give you like a super condensed simple example please do you're scrolling on facebook you pause on a photo for six seconds right it knows that it's measuring that oh this person stopped scrolling. And the photo they're looking at has tags, food, and fitness attached to it. Great. It takes note of that. Mm-hmm. You're scrolling again. You're passing by all these other photos with tags attached to it. And then it pauses again at one that's food and this time, let's say, adventure. And it's like, oh, it liked food twice. Mm-hmm. This person paused for six seconds on food twice. They must really like food. Guess what? I'm going to start servicing up to them more food and does this over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's a very just like simple example of how they're measuring attention and how it relates to tags and how they're going to service content to you. So I just want to mm-hmm. throw that in there because people are always like, what, what does it mean that, like, how is it actually doing that? Mm-hmm. And know? I think maybe, like, I'm also surrounded by people that know a little bit more about this because I talk about, like, right now, I've been training Facebook to notify me every time a baby is born. <laughs> like, I'll go through and, like, anyone who has a baby, I'm like, like comment and yep. i will like and comment yep. every single time because then as soon as somebody has a baby it pops in my feed right away <laughs> because facebook's like ooh, she really likes this yeah <laughs> yeah big life events so you gave us a really cool example of how algorithms work can you explain briefly how data brokers work yeah so essentially data brokers are these massive data silos like it's a company and they have they give you picture like farm farming and they collect all the wheat all that picture that except data they're mass harvesting your data into these silos and they essentially are pawning off your data to the highest bidder now why do these bidders want your money why are people purchasing your data we kind of talked about earlier but essentially the more data that's available the better these ai models 
that can be made that will ultimately predict your behavior, anticipate it, and finally control it for a desired outcome in the real world. So that's what data silos are. That's what data brokers are. There's, they're these middlemen. They're not necessarily like the Facebooks of the world. There's these other companies more in the shadows. And I believe it's like a $200 billion industry. Like it's massive. Mm, wow. And That'd it's just like- a whole market of trading your data. Like Cambridge Analytica yep. would be one. Okay. Yep. And you and people don't know about it. It's just every day. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You mentioned Cambridge Analytica, so we should probably talk about that really quick. And Carter, I don't know if you know. I don't have about- as much. I do not have. The, okay. I, I know the context, but I don't have any depth here. So feel free to dive in. Okay. On it. Let me just like, I followed this when yeah. it was happening. And yeah. now there's like a, a, a movie on Netflix out about it too, but. I'm, I haven't watched it, and I'm willing to bet that it's super politically slanted, so I'm a little nervous, too. Sure. But, like, I... Okay, so when this originally happened, there was, like, an app out on Facebook that you could... I don't know. It's something like My Digital Life or something, or Ruthie had, like, some notes on that. But basically what was happening is this app developer would say, okay, I'm going to predict what your digital life is. And so I need to be able to access all of your um, likes, interests, and then also your friends list and all of their likes and interests, right? Mm-hmm. But but people were saying, okay, yes, because there was a loophole in Facebook that would allow you to do that. And Facebook had that open where you could actually collect data on people's friends if that person who wanted that done cr- – press the accept button to the terms and conditions. Sure, sure. So basically what was happening, yeah, this is your digital life. That's what it's called. Sorry. So um, basically that data was then used to say, okay, this is who you are basically online. And it was like some kind of fun quiz, like which Disney princess are you, right? Not but, quite like that, but yeah. Not quite like that, <laughs> but you know. Anyway, so but that, clothing. that data was then pulled by that um, app company that then sold it to, um, I think, was it Global Science Research? Or were they the people? No, they developed. Global Science Research developed your digital life. And they um, had that information that they sold to other people. Mm-hmm. So Cambridge Analytica was a like more of like a marketing agency mm-hmm. that's like, oh, well, we'll just get these user profiles. Mm-hmm. Because back in, back now there's like lots of changes in how you can target Facebook ads. But back then, what you could do is you could basically upload like an Excel spreadsheet of people and their interests or whatever and say, this is who we want to target based on their interests. And then you, like you could bring your own data in and upload it to match profiles. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you know anything about like Facebook pixels, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that um, like H tag that you put in your website to Mm -hmm. basically track anyone who goes on your website Facebook tracks basically what's happening on people's phones a lot without you knowing it, right? Like if you go on a website and then it has a pixel and you go back on your Facebook, it like correlates those um, interactions, right? And so then you could basically create this bucket of people for remarketing. Um, But the same way you could upload your own lists. Mm -hmm. And so as that was happening, um, they basically segmented by people's political leanings and then started serving them ads. Which everyone was like, oh, Cambridge Analytica, they're like a horrible person for doing all this. And okay, maybe they are. I can't say yes or no to that because honestly, everybody was doing it. It wasn't just them. And it wasn't like just like buying data from one company or another. It was all companies were doing it. Mm-hmm. And even when we were looking into the, that 2012 article about Target, there like it was a key phrase in there yeah. using your purchase data 
and data they purchased from others to create a full user profile Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah Yeah. they're purchasing like everybody's doing it and that was a decade ago imagine how much better they are now. that's what i'm saying (laughs) i'm literally i literally said that i was like that was like nine years ago can you imagine what kind of data they have on me Mm -hmm. but when i started looking into this originally cambridge analytica all this stuff going on a lot of news reporters are like you guys especially in the tech industry they're like you realize credit cards have been doing this to you for years (laughs) and nobody's cared about that because credit card companies that's how they actually make their money Mm -hmm. it's not really i mean yeah they get like a bonus on like if you don't pay and then they they charge you fees but most of it is they sell your purchase data to other people Mm -hmm. and most people have no idea when they sign up for a credit card that that's what they're doing Mm -hmm. and so like I see that happen to me where it was like, I was telling Ruthie, I was like, oh yeah, like for the first time I can tell, I can tell somebody has sold my data because for the first time ever, I received a back to school ad in my, in my mailbox. And I was like, wow, somebody knows that I have children. Nobody knew that before. Mm -hmm. Like, but I've never like posted a lot about that or whatever. And so how is it that they're pulling this data on me? Yeah. Right. And it's just so interesting to know that. And it's kind of scary at the same time. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like one of the common things you hear is, oh, like, if all they're ever trying to do is just, like, sell you more stuff, like, it can't be that bad. But for me, it's like, what about all the malicious individuals out there? Mm-hmm. The people that get access to those data silos and are trying to control your, like, are just sheer agents of chaos. Like, that's 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 the part that really scares me. And I think that's why the political side of things is particularly contentious it's just Mm -hmm. because there's a lot more risk wrapped up in people using data to polarize you know versus i'm trying to sell you this product it's like i can understand that i don't like it it crosses the line Mm -hmm. but i'm worried about the malicious actors that have amazing ai and can change reality as we know it because we've just given them reality in some ways Mm -hmm. with that data so tell us about specific tools that people can be using to protect themselves from things like that yeah so for me um the biggest thing you can possibly do initially is your browser um and whenever we talk about tools just know that you're you're not going to be able to be perfect but you can you can start with like improvements and i think raising the next generation of kids to be more conscientious of this stuff is like the long-term solution but short term (laughs) browser is a really big one um, I use Brave Browser, huge fan of them, co-founder of Mozilla Firefox left and was like, yeah, we need to do something about the privacy side of things. I won't go into their model, but I think they're fantastic. They're they're totally privacy preserving, DuckDuckGo, people have heard some of these other ones. They're not perfect. None of these are perfect, but they're better than Google. Whatever you can do to at least attempt to migrate away from like uh, Google is a great first step. Mm-hmm. Get rid of apps you don't need. Like there are so many apps on people's phones that like they don't know are just harvesting data. They don't even use the app. So get rid of stuff you're not using. Um, Turn off permissions on your phone for like, you can see what on your phone, what certain apps have permissions to and just get rid of the stuff that you don't, you don't need. Like there's, there's apps that want your location data that want access to your photos, like, and all these different things. And people don't know that your photos have like metadata on it. It's like, they're not literally looking at your photo. They're looking at the data attached to your photos. Mm. Some people talk about VPNs. I look at VPNs as like the cherry on top. VPNs, for those of you who don't know what that is, is a virtual private network. Essentially, it randomizes where your searches appear to be coming from. 
Like, I think they're pretty cool, but it's not as fundamental as like changing your browser, mm -hmm. removing apps on your phone that you don't need. Um, and then I here's the next big one is re replacing G Suite apps. So for instance, instead of Gmail, I use ProtonMail. Mm -hmm. So I have to use Gmail for as a student. But in terms of work and in it's in, I'm in the privacy sector, ProtonMail is go-to. It's Gmail, but with privacy. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, Telegram, end-to-end -end message encryption it has over half a billion downloads at this point countries hate it <laughs> to be honest like during the hong kong um like all, a lot of different contentious riots all over the place even during the elections like telegram has just been massively downloaded hmm. um it's the only messaging app that has end-to-end -end encryption that i know of and the people that spun it up like they got nodes all over the world so like i'm not worried about it ever going down and they've already openly stated that it's not it's not for profit like they can't even really earn a profit from it, which I think is fascinating. Like they're, the infrastructure has been set up for idealistic purposes. Um, you can question, you know, how people will use it, but at the end of the day, it's privacy preserving. So I'm a fan of it. Um, Google Drive, try Dropbox, not a perfect solution, still better than Google Drive. Um, and finally, like go out there and fight for it. Ask, ask your politicians about it. Make, make it a, a bigger deal. Like we need legislation that protects, protects us, mm -hmm. like GDPR over in the EU. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that would be my quick list. Wow. Okay. Carter, thank you so much for joining us and telling us all of your wisdom. And you want to just let people know where they can find you. And then we're going to transition into our sister rock. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter, L underscore Wetzel, lots of blockchain tweets, a lot of content that goes out. You can also follow my company's YouTube channel, Secure Secrets. And yeah, those would be the two big kind of places to find me. Feel awesome. free to connect on LinkedIn. Always happy to chat. Awesome. All right. Um, so we are going to gawk about a time that you got pranked. Oh. And then, <laughs> and then tried to prank other people. Um, yeah. Okay. So take it away. Tell yeah, us the story. Yeah. So there, there was this one time not, not too long ago. It was summer. And um, we had someone come over and prank our yard. They TP'd our tree, TP'd the cars. We got very, we were, we were fired up. This is the first time we've been pranked in a year because COVID, right? You don't get pranked anymore. That's not a thing, but it still was. So we, we thought we know, we thought we knew who we did it. So we went to their house and we forked their, uh, their yard. So Which, explain what that means. You put like a million forks stabbed into the ground and they have to pull them all out. It's quite harmless. Anyways, this is where the story gets interesting. We find out later the house we pranked, they came over to our house at 4 a.m. to counter prank <laughs> us because we forked their yard and they correctly assumed it was us, but they rolled up and our house was TP'd and we got pranked. So we, we played them. We're like, whoa, you guys got pranked too? What the heck? <laughs> so then we blamed it. We blamed it on a suite of girls. So then the target was off of our backs. They eventually figured it out, but man, talk about the shock of rolling up at 4 a.m. to get vengeance <laughs> and realizing you got the wrong target, but they were right. They just didn't know But it. you guys got the wrong target to begin with. You went to go oh, prank. That's, you know, that's an asterisk. You figured out the asterisk in that story. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, well, thank you for joining us today. We have had such a fun time. Yeah. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, you should give us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we will see you next week.